Welcome to Secrets True Crime, the Eric Cates and Gypsy story. I am your host, Amber Sitton. What is done in darkness will eventually come to light. That is the purpose of this podcast, to shine light on the story of Eric Cates, his beloved dog Gypsy, and the town of Empire, Alabama. Listener discretion is advised. The subject matter may involve violence, sexual content, murder, and adult themes. It is not suitable for younger listeners. This is episode 10 of a serial podcast, and they are designed to be listened to in order. Before I jump into this episode, I have something I want to address up front. This podcast exists to shine light on the stories of victims such as Eric and Gypsy and their loved ones who are left behind. This episode is going to be upsetting for some of you and frustrating for others. We've left out some of the current struggles Toby has been facing in the last few months and is continuing to face now, but you are all invested in Eric's story and in the struggles his family have faced trying to get justice. It's time for you all to know that Toby's battle for justice is real and seemingly never-ending. This isn't an episode that we wanted to do, but we've reached a point where the truth must come to light. We met with Toby and Eric's brother Chris for the first time on August 28, 2019. We met Sheriff Nick Smith the next day. In our initial meeting with Sheriff Smith, he shared Eric's toxicology results with us. It is overdose level, three times. While she made repeated requests for the toxicology results, no one had shared this information with Eric's mother in the four and a half years since his murder. When I told her, she wasn't surprised by it. She'd actually made those persistent requests because she suspected that's what the toxicology results would reveal. Not long after we got the letter, Wayne and his brother got the letter from Empire describing an event that supposedly happened to Eric. We had already met with the sheriff's department and gave them a copy of the letter. And probably about a week after we met with the sheriff, which would have been probably a month after Eric had been murdered, we were still getting leads and things that people, you know, would try to give us tips. And one of the tips that we got was that um, they gave Eric a hot shot after he was in the truck. When we asked who gave the hot shot, he wouldn't say what he said was the guy that made the fresh batch. I asked, we had the guy on speakerphone, how he had called Wayne's number, and I asked him where he got the shot. And that's when he said they gave it to him in the truck. Now, whether that was at the school or wherever the truck was when that happened, he, he didn't say. But he did say this. When Wayne tried to press him for more information, he said, um, was Eric doing drugs? 
And he said, no. He said, Eric's drug of choice was heroin, but the meth will show up. But he said, Eric hadn't done uh, heroin in, in a while. He didn't say how long. He had just said in a, in a while. That was his words. And anybody that had seen Eric or had talked to Eric weeks prior to this happening, to his murder, will tell you that Eric was probably the best they had seen him in years. Even on the video in the store, those that know Eric will tell you that, that he was doing great. Not perfect, but that he was seemed like he was getting his life together. And so that's one reason why I kept asking for a toxicology report. I wanted to know what was in the toxicology report. And finally, um, back in January, when um, Sheriff Smith let me see the um, toxicology report, there was no heroin in his system. And I think it was probably three times more than what you, you would have. I mean, he, he had a lot. And the comment was made that Eric, you know, had stopped struggling, stopped fighting. And I believe that is whenever he had he had just bled out so much from what I've been told that he couldn't defend himself. That may be one reason why there was so much meth in his system. They gave it to him and he the blood stopped circulating. I don't know, but. It just made what we were told about Eric getting a hot shot that much more clearer. And um, I believe it was someone that was there or he was very close to someone that was there to be able to tell us that. We've been told of numerous cases of hot shotting, but I wanted to get another take on the problem. I spoke with a former law enforcement officer from Walker County. He did not want to be recorded, and he wanted to remain anonymous. I asked him if hotshotting is a prevalent problem in Walker County right now. He told me there's a lot of hotshotting going on there right now, and that it has been an issue for many years. Another law enforcement officer in the county told us that the hotshotting problem is probably bigger than they realize because even the victims who survive it are too scared to tell what happened to them. He said sometimes they don't remember who did it, but just know that it was someone in the group of people they'd considered to be their friends. Towards the end of our meeting, Sheriff Smith shared some information with us that really took us by surprise. It's a solvable case. I mean, there are a ton of them, it sounds like. And I'm not poking at you, but I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, there's a lot of people there. This shouldn't have been hard to solve, especially in the beginning. Now it's harder. Yeah. But. No, yeah, it's hard. It's, it's hard to back up and then solve it. Um, it you know, it's almost like the show First 48. I mean, a lot of people, you know, if it ain't solving that first couple of days it's just very very hard and I think because the body was burned it's hard for them to determine the cause of death because you know there's rumors that he was shot there was rumors he was stabbed there was it's hard for them to doesn't matter you know I mean you know I mean it does but right. I mean I don't think there's going to be doubt in each other's mind well the uh, more, another 
But I mean, he was still breathing though when he was burned. So, well, the investigator that investigated the case and he hasn't said openly, but he thinks that because of the toxicology that he thinks that Eric, because he was three times the limit for methamphetamine, that he overdosed and dropped a cigarette and caught himself on fire is what the investigator says. What investigator? The one that was investigating the case. Mm -hmm. But he don't work here no more. So. That's good to know. Uh, He's state fire marshal now. Oh, good. That's that's good. good. That's that's great. He sounds qualified for that. I'm glad I'm a, he he dropped a cigarette and set himself on fire. And the dog. And the dog. Off a cigarette. So what they said. I think you can tell by the audio that we were shocked when Sheriff Smith shared that theory with us. I asked Toby when she'd first heard a theory of Eric's death being accidental. After your meeting with Nick Smith, uh, I want to say it was in August. Was that when you met with the sheriff? Yes. And he told you that theory at that point. And you related to me. And uh, I was very disturbed by that due to the fact that... um, a forensic specialist with the TV crew out of um, New York had looked at those pictures and had advised me that, from his expert opinion, that an accelerant had been used in that fire. And um, the theory that it caught from his shoes, where he had possibly spilt some gasoline and then had dropped a cigarette and set himself afire accidentally, I didn't buy that because of the floorboard in the truck after the fact. The material on his legs, the blue jeans, it just didn't, to me, it, you couldn't prove that. The majority of burn was from his waist up. And if they're saying that it started from his shoes, it that didn't happen based on pictures that I saw. Toby was never told this theory. And as we spoke to more and more people over the first couple months, we realized that many people around the community had been told this is what happened to Eric and Gypsy. To me, this is yet another slap in the face of the victim and his family by those in power. If this was a viable theory, which it's not, then law enforcement or the district attorney's office, or better yet, both of them, should have had that conversation with Eric's family. Instead, it seems that they chose to go out into the community and whisper these unfounded rumors into the ears of anyone who would listen. Even Tanya mentioned this theory to us in our first interview with her. They said that a cigarette fell down and caused the fire. Who told you that? Chuck. Sheriff Smith also told us this theory originated with Chuck Tidwell, but we have some doubt that all of the credit goes to Chuck for this. Nick said, it's what they said. Who is they? I received an anonymous call from a man who claimed to be either current or former law enforcement at the Walker County Sheriff's Office. 
He told me he helped work Eric's case some, and the inside knowledge he had of the case made his claim quite credible. He wouldn't give me consent to record him, and he wouldn't reveal his name. He told me that this theory didn't originate with Chuck Tidwell. He told me the origin of the accidental theory was the district attorney's office. We don't know where the theory came from. Time will tell. We do know the theory is bogus. Eric did struggle with addiction, but Eric's drug of choice was never meth. Beyond that, where were Eric's keys? If Eric accidentally started this fire as he sat behind the wheel of his truck, wouldn't you expect the keys to be in his truck? How would Eric's truck be parked in the center of a large mud hole, with him and Gypsy both in it without the keys? What happened to the hat he was wearing? There were fragments left of his clothing, so why would his hat be different? What happened to his necklaces that were hanging from the rearview mirror and in his ashtray? Sure, the fire could have damaged them some and even potentially melted them. We don't think the fire was hot enough to melt the metal, but if it had, the metal wouldn't have evaporated into thin air. The necklaces would have been found. What happened to Eric's knife that was in his truck? The knife he had used earlier that very day. The reality is that Eric and Gypsy were found burned to death in Eric's truck. The ashtray was found ajar, no keys in sight, his valuables were missing, the door to his gas tank was open, and the gas cap was not on. If the cap was ever found, no one has ever shared that information with Toby. Another detail that goes along with this theory is that the accelerant for the fire was gasoline that Eric accidentally got on his boot when he was pumping gas earlier in the night. The surveillance video doesn't reveal anything to give credence to this theory, but there's one other major problem that we see with it. For that theory to hold true, the fire would have had to have started in the floorboard of the truck. All indications point to the fire starting in the seat. Eric's boots and lower legs had very little fire damage and were mostly intact. If the fire started by a cigarette coming in contact with an accelerant in the floorboard or on Eric's boots, you would expect that these areas would have sustained much greater damage from the fire than they did. There is one more huge issue with this theory, and my anonymous law enforcement caller was kind enough to point it out to me. According to him, they have witnesses and surveillance footage that indicates Eric pulled into Perry Selman's yard and never left again. After Sheriff Smith shared his theory with us, I became more and more concerned with it. Would this ridiculous and unsupported theory in the case file be an obstacle to obtaining the justice that Eric and his loved ones deserve? I brought it up a time or two with Sheriff Smith when I spoke with him on the phone. He told me to not worry about it. I had the clear impression that he didn't believe in this theory either. He told me that their investigation would clear up any questions about the accidental theory. In August 2019, during my very first conversation with Toby, 
She mentioned she'd had some difficulty getting anything done on her case with the prior administration at the Walker County Sheriff's Office. Then she told me about Nick Smith. Nick and Toby met during his campaign for sheriff. In July 2018, candidate for Walker County Sheriff Nick Smith made a Facebook post about Eric Cates. It was a photo of Smith, his wife, and Toby. Part of the post he made read, along with assigning a cold case detective to Eric's case, I plan to appeal to Aaliyah for assistance from their top investigators as well, along with any assistance from neighboring counties we may need. Nick Smith was elected sheriff of Walker County, and he took office in January 2019. Toby had hope and faith for the first time since shortly after Eric and Gypsy's murder. In February 2019, there were numerous news stories announcing that Aaliyah, or often referred to as the State Bureau of Investigation, or SBI, was reviewing Eric's case. Sheriff Smith told the Daily Mountain Eagle that the case files for Eric's case had been turned over to the SBI. This same information was reported by AL.com, ABC 3340 News, and WVUA 23 News. Each piece of news coverage stated that Eric's case files had been turned over to the State Bureau of Investigation. In March, Sheriff Smith confirmed directly to Toby that the SBI had Eric's case files. When we met with Toby for the first time, she was expectant and reassured because Sheriff Smith was now in office and he had the SBI working Eric's case. According to Toby in the news coverage, the SBI had been on Eric's case for almost seven months. We did ask Toby if she had spoken with an investigator from the SBI, and she stated she had not heard from them yet. We met with Sheriff Smith the next day, and one of our first questions was about the SBI involvement. One thing that I would do um, if I was elected, and that would be contact the state and have the state come in and kind of review where the Sheriff's Department was at on the case and, uh, and let them kind of take it, the investigation from there. I asked Toby when she first spoke to Nick about the SBI's involvement in Eric's case. Nick Smith told me back in March of 2019 that he had met with the SBI and that they had been given a copy of Eric's case file. And of course, you know, I was glad that he had followed through with one of the promises that he made me. And Nick Smith never made me the promise that he would solve Eric's case. The only thing that he had promised me was that if he was elected, that he would get outside help, he would get other eyes to look at the case and um, see it if he couldn't help in that manner. And, you know, from my talks with Nick after he was elected and got into office, to my knowledge, he never looked at Eric's case file. I think he may have looked at a few pieces of paper or a, a document or two, but he has told me that he has never looked at Eric's case. And I understand. It's just like he's told me 
Nick Smith told me that this case had been screwed up from the very beginning. It had not been worked like it should from many different angles. And he wanted to get it out of his lap. I mean, it's bad enough working a murder such as my son, Eric and Gypsies. But to come along, you know, four years later and have to start in the beginning having to look and see what they've already done, what they didn't do. You know, and it's like he told me, there there was so much not done in the beginning that should have been done. It makes it harder on this case. While what Nick and Toby say about the case being a mess is true, I'm not as understanding as Toby about this matter. When you run for sheriff and you win, you now own all the problems of the prior administration. You don't get to pass over difficult cases. It is your job, your duty, your obligation to make a good faith effort to solve these cases. We aren't talking about some stolen property here. We're talking about a human life, the life of a person who has loved ones who are suffering an unbearable loss. And we are talking about murderers who have been left to walk free. And we believe these same people are responsible for the deaths of others since Eric. More senseless murders that could have been prevented if this case had been handled properly from day one. During our first meeting in August, Sheriff Smith told us he had hired investigator Mike Cole to work the cold cases. We all, including Toby, were ecstatic at this news. Assigning a cold case investigator to Eric's case was one of Sheriff Smith's earliest promises to Toby, and we all thought it was another promise kept. Toby thought she'd hear from the new investigator as he began to work on Eric's case, but the call never came in. In December 2019, when she finally initiated contact herself, she learned it was because no one at the Walker County Sheriff's Office was actively working Eric's case, not even the new cold case investigator. We've spent a great deal of time in Walker County interviewing people and also even more time conducting follow-up interviews by phone. We realized not too far into it that no one we were speaking to had been interviewed by investigators from the SBI. We were a little frustrated. Why weren't they interviewing anyone? In September, Sheriff Smith requested that Michael and I schedule another meeting with him. We received a call a few minutes before our appointment, notifying us that Sheriff Smith was unable to make our meeting and that we'd be meeting with one of his investigators instead. We met with investigator Mike Cole, and one of the first things he told us was that the Walker County Sheriff's Office was not the only investigating agency involved in Eric's case. He said it was also being investigated by the SBI. At Sheriff Smith's request, Toby scheduled another meeting with Nick Smith for January 3rd, 2020 and asked Michael and I to accompany her to the meeting. When we arrived, 
Mike Cole informed us that Sheriff Smith would be unable to attend. Instead, we met with Investigator Cole and the Captain of Investigations, Daryl Moat. It came as a shock to me. Nick Smith had uh, scheduled a meeting with me on January the 3rd to bring me up to date on some things about Eric's case. And I had asked numerous times to see the autopsy report, to see the toxicology report, to no avail. A couple of things that I had asked about previous statements that I wanted to confirm that what they were telling me now was what they had stated back in their original statement back in 2015. So I, we were going to that meeting on January the 3rd with anticipation of getting that information. This was about the third time that we had, I had asked to see it through Nick. And when we got there, the sheriff had an emergency and he wasn't able to meet with us. And so met with um, cold case investigator Mike Cole and Chief Investigation, uh, Mr. Motes. And during that meeting, they were, I guess, blindsided about giving me the answers that I had previously asked Nick for about the autopsy and about the toxicology report and statements. And they were, you know, very upfront and refused to tell me anything. Said they couldn't because it was still a working case. And during those conversations where I had been told that the SBI was actively working the case, I asked Mike Cole if he had heard from the SBI. He had not. And he and Mr. Motes assured me that SBI had Eric's case file, the original. And I informed both of them that that is not what Nick Smith told me that Sheriff Smith had told me that they had gotten a copy of Eric's case file and was going to look at it and assist if they could, that they didn't just take cases, they assisted. And so I was a little worried, and I kept telling myself, you know, something's not right here. You should have been calling the SBI, following up. One reason Sheriff Smith had asked Toby to schedule this meeting was due to concerns she had about evidence in Eric's case potentially being lost. Toby had seen much of the evidence prior to Sheriff Smith taking office, and admittedly, Toby knew better than anyone what should be there. Mike Cole and Captain Moat did not appear to be on the same page with Sheriff Smith. Both admitted that they had not looked at Eric's case file and had no idea what evidence was in their custody. Toby was frustrated. We were all frustrated. Toby had been trying to get a straight answer to the same questions for a very long time, and no one could answer them because they hadn't and wouldn't take the time to look at Eric's case file. Toby had been promised by Sheriff Smith that he would have someone working Eric's case. And one year after he took office, it had become apparent to her and us that no one was. When she inquired as to when they would have time to look at Eric's case 
and see what evidence still remained. Their response to her was somewhat condescending. Toby was reminded by them that there are many other murder cases that need investigating too, and those people are just as important as she is. Why wouldn't she be expecting Mike Cole and Nick Smith to be investigating her son's death? That's exactly what Nick Smith promised her. In the February 2019 article published by the Daily Mountain Eagle about Sheriff Smith requesting help from the SBI, they wrote, Smith addressed the case of Kate's first because it is one of the county's most recent cold cases and because Stover approached him during last year's National Crime Victims' Rights Week candlelight vigil. At the time, Smith was nearing the end of his campaign for the sheriff's office. This case isn't more important than any of the others, but we have to start somewhere, Smith said. That sure sounds like confirmation that Eric's case was being investigated to me. If you've ever met Toby, you know that she wants all of these cases solved. She's never asked for special treatment. As a matter of fact, the only treatment she's received hasn't been the good kind. Her husband was threatened with arrest. She was threatened with arrest. And no one will even take the time to read her son's case file. Toby came for a meeting at the request of the sheriff, and the meeting had a specific purpose. When Toby arrived expecting what she was asked for there to actually happen, she was almost shamed for it. The goals Toby had been asked by Nick to come there for were not obtained. No new information came from the meeting. It was a complete and utter waste of time. We left this unnecessary meeting and went to lunch together. We began to wonder aloud. If the SBI has the case file and are supposedly involved in investigating Eric's case, why aren't we finding anyone who's seen them around Empire? And why aren't we hearing of even one single person they've spoken with? And now a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Best Fiends. While true crime is my passion, sometimes I need to decompress from the stress of my day. That's how I found my favorite game. Best Fiends is a unique and exciting puzzle experience unlike other puzzle games out there. While Best Fiends has challenging puzzles, it's a casual game anyone can play, but it's made for adults. Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events so it never gets old. I've been playing it for five years now. I'm on level 969 and have collected 29 of the cutest characters you've ever seen that I strategically use to help solve the puzzles. And the best part? You don't need internet to play. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me. With over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends, free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Okay, back to the episode. 
So after lunch, I went home and I started making calls. I called the SBI and got in touch with the Lieutenant Thompson and um, told him what had occurred that day in the meeting. And Mr. Thompson told me, Investigator Thompson with the SBI, told me that they were not working on Eric's case, that they had not been given the original nor a copy of his case file, that when they met with the sheriff and Chuck Tidwell back the last of February of 2019, that they were given two pieces of paper about Eric, and that was it. To find this out, I was very upset. I was devastated that I had believed that from March of 2019 until January the 3rd of 2020, that the SBI had been actively working and investigating Eric and Gypsy's case. I met with uh, Nick Smith on January the 9th. And I told him of my concerns about finding out the SBI had not been looking into Eric's case. And he admitted that they dropped the ball, that he should have been following up on it too, that he believed that Chuck Tidwell had made a copy of the file and had given it to them. And um, no, he had not been calling the SBI to follow up. And that's where he apologized. He said, I, I should have. He was a little aggravated, too. The name Chuck Tidwell has come up up in, up in this case numerous times. The geofencing that was supposed to have been requested, there had been problems with it. Uh, Chuck Tidwell was supposed to have done that. Nick had to go back and reorder it because it had not been done appropriately. So there, there was just several things still going on with this case that was just falling through the cracks. And... It was just um, very frustrating, very frustrating. In the last 30 days, another rumor and theory has shown its face. I began to receive messages from Walker County residents who had no direct or indirect connection to Eric's case. Many people from the community have asked me if Eric committed suicide. As my conversations with these people progressed, they provided more and more details that they were given. At least one claimed that a gun was found in Eric's truck and that they had been told by someone from the sheriff's office that Eric shot his own beloved dog and set himself on fire. These people said they'd been told that Eric's mom knew the truth about what happened to him, but that she just wasn't willing to accept it. I was stunned by these rumors, and judging by the number of people contacting me, the rumor was becoming fairly widespread. Toby was as shocked as I was about this new rumor. She was almost certain that a gun was not found in Eric's truck. Eric didn't carry a gun. She called Mike Cole and Nick Smith both to inquire about a gun being found in Eric's truck, and both confirmed that they were not aware of a gun found in his vehicle. She mentioned to Sheriff Smith 
that people were claiming this information came from those inside his office. And he told her that he just didn't believe that that was true. On January 28, 2020, Toby received a call from Mike Cole asking her to come in and meet with him and Sheriff Smith the next day. At that point, on January the 29th, he let me see the toxicology report, and there was a high amount of meth in Eric's system. And I had already told the sheriff and Mike Cole that we had been told that Eric had been given a hot shot and possibly going to be a high amount of meth in his system. But then at that point, there was no heroin. So that, like I said, that confirmed what the tip had been about Eric getting a hot shot. As I was looking at the autopsy report, I didn't see a few things that I felt like should have been attached to the autopsy. Prior autopsies that I had been privileged to look at in my work and um, for family, there had always been a diagram. But since I saw the last one, the uh, Alabama Forensic Department no longer gives that diagram unless it's requested. To get a complete autopsy, you have to request all of the working papers during the autopsy. Because there were a few things that got my attention in this autopsy report. Number one, the front page, even though it had Eric's name on it, on that same page, there was evidence collected from someone else. And in previous autopsy reports, I had never seen evidence collected in an autopsy report like that. That would have been an evidence sheet. When we met with the DA back in 2015, the latter part of 2015, the DA had told us that he had the autopsy report, but that we couldn't see it. At that time, the only thing that stood out to him was that there was soot in his lung. I asked, was it both lungs, which lung? And he couldn't tell me. And he really refused to answer any other questions about the autopsy. Well, at the point that I got to see it on the January the 29th, there were a few things in there that caught my attention. The two things that was referenced that I felt like should have been explained, there was not a sheet explaining those discrepancies. And when I asked the sheriff and Mike Cole about that, the sheriff was very upfront. He said, I don't know what's supposed to be in there. I was hoping you being a nurse, you could explain some of the terms and technology, you know, what is being said here. And Mike Cole did too. He said that he had seen an autopsy before, but there were some things in there that he was questioning, that everything looked fine to him. And what I saw, it wasn't fine. And there should have been a description of what the forensic uh, medical examiner had found. And there wasn't a sheet telling that. And when I went back through the pages, I noticed that the pages were not numbered in order. There were pages missing. In my opinion, I was not looking at a final autopsy report, a conclusive report. And when I voiced that concern to the sheriff and to Mike Cole, 
Mike Cole informed me that that is, is, was a completed autopsy. And again, I refused to believe that. And when I asked him about the DA's copy, he said that that was the DA's copy and that's all he had. He, he became a little irritated with me when I kept, I was adamant this was not a complete autopsy. And that's what I wanted to see. And so he finally agreed to get with the DA and see what they had. At that point, when I got home, I called the DA's office to see, in fact, what they had. And uh, she told me she would get back with me the next week. I waited to no avail to hear back. I called the DA's office back again. Susie was helpful in giving me the, um, the person to contact at the forensic department. I called him, left a message, and he was out on maternity leave. So in the process of waiting for a couple of weeks, he did call me and um, went over my questions for him. And he told me that he could not open Eric's autopsy report up, that that would have to come from the DA. So I called the DA's office back, requested that they get in touch with the Alabama Forensic Department and request a completed autopsy with all working papers. Uh, it had to come from their letterhead. And um, Susie said that she would get with the DA and see what they could do. As of today, which is February the 21st, I still have not heard anything. I don't know if it's been requested at this point or not. So well, we're still in the waiting mode. It was during this meeting that Toby realized that that suicide theory probably had originated from the sheriff's office. So I was really a little aggravated with the cold case investigator, Mike Cole, on that January the 29th meeting when he was absolutely adamant at times. He believed that it was either an accidental or suicidal event. At that point, I asked him, I said, so you've looked at Eric's case file and you get this from what you have seen or what you have read? And he admitted that he still had not looked at Eric's case file at that point. And the meeting had a little downturn there. Here was Mike Cole, a cold case investigator with numerous years of experience that the sheriff and investigator Motes have told me what an awesome investigator he is, top notch. And yet he was trying to get me to believe that my son had committed suicide or an accident. And I wasn't buying it. Now I have no formal education as a forensic specialist. I'm telling you from the pictures that I saw I could not have believed that what Mike Cole was telling me could be proved. I even asked him, what proof did he have to validate his theories? And he could not show me any. But do you find it unusual that an investigator would form an opinion like this on a file that he admittedly hasn't even looked at yet? And again, it, it just proved to me that he had not looked at the case file. 
I mean, he was honest about that. There was a lot of information in Eric's case file, and he had not had time to go through it. But to make such a statement about a murder case, to not be able to back it up, ludicrous. Especially for someone that is supposed to have that many years' experience and be that great of an investigator. As I mentioned before, Toby has been very concerned that some of the evidence in Eric's case could be missing. We know the surveillance video from the Blue Store was missing because we were asked to provide a copy of it to the sheriff's office. Two particular pieces of evidence have been weighing very heavy on Toby, and she's been inquiring to both Nick Smith and Mike Cole since at least October of 2019 to see if those things were still in evidence. The items in question are surveillance video from two residents in and around Wingo Road near the Empire School. She has asked countless times for one or both of them to please confirm that they do still have those videos in their possession. Each time she's asked, she was told that they haven't gotten around to taking an inventory of what evidence they have, but they'd be doing it soon. This went on for months, with the last time the request was made being at the January 3rd meeting with Investigator Cole and Captain Moat. The trend of not following through continued, and Toby to this day has never been told if that video footage still exists or not. In January 2020, Crime Stoppers announced a $5,000 reward for information leading to an arrest in Eric's case. It was another ray of hope for Toby, and she was eagerly awaiting the news conference with the announcement of the reward. But the happy event ended up turning a little sour for her. At the press conference, Mike Cole mentions that they have some home surveillance video showing Eric's truck going towards the school. This is the video that Toby had been asking them for months to please confirm that they still had in their possession. Why wouldn't they at least have the courtesy of setting her mind at ease about this before Mike Cole seemingly confirms on live television that he's seen the video? Okay, so I know another thing that upset you was that Mike Cole's interview at the press conference on January 21st, 2020, when they announced the $5,000 Crime Stoppers reward for Eric's case. What was it about the interview that was so upsetting to you? Well, again, I had asked the sheriff previously about Crime Stoppers. And on um, January the 9th, when I met with Nick Smith, I brought it up again. I had asked him would he consider asking Crime Stoppers for help. They would do a reward, uh, but it had to come from the sheriff's department. He said, well, as a matter of fact, Nick said, I'm meeting with them after I finish you. So that was a great relief. He had reached out to Crime Stoppers, and he said that Eric was going to be one of the cases. And so I was um, all upbeat for that. Nick again had followed through on one of his promises, and so I wanted to see how it played out. The next week, I believe it was, when Mike Cole made the ad, the commercial, whatever you want to call it, for the Crime Stoppers. And in that clip, Mike Cole said that on 
surveillance video that he had that it showed only one vehicle going in and I was really just dumbfounded. I had never heard that before. And from the people that I had talked to and that you, Amber, from your podcast had talked to, we know that other people have been in and out. And so how it came about on Mike Cole's video surveillance that he had looked at, I didn't understand. You know, what did he have that we had never been told before? And so that was one of the things that I asked him on January the 29th when I finally got to meet with him. I told him that I had seen the Crime Stoppers ad and that I thanked him and I thanked the sheriff for it. But I said, I've got some questions for you. I said, on your surveillance video that you say there's only one vehicle, can you tell me at what time you looked at that video? What time frame were you looking at that you only saw one car go in and that happened to be, or one vehicle, and that vehicle was Eric's? What time frame are you talking about? And he talked for a minute and he said, I think it was around 8.30. And I said, so when you were watching the video, you only saw one vehicle go in. And he said, yes. And then he said, because I pinpointed him, I asked him, I said, so you watched the video. That's when he said, no, it was from the report in the file. And so I said, oh, so you've had a chance to look at the case file. And again, he told me no, that he had just seen that statement. So all along, I have been told that evidence from Eric's case file and from evidence that was collected, uh, that things have went missing. Back in November of 2019, I confronted Sheriff Smith with the uh, tip that I had received that more of Eric's evidence had been lost and he assured me that he did not that only one person had a key to that evidence and that nothing has went missing since he became sheriff so i'm a little concerned about the video that mike cole says he gave that description of and i hope one day that i would be able to see that to be able to confirm that, uh, in fact, they do have surveillance videos such as that. I just find it strange that people are saying one thing in a maybe surveillance video shows that what a piece of paper is stating because my paper does not match his piece of paper. So, you know, again, you know, from the very beginning, there have been so many things said that you have to sift through, you have to follow through to validate anything. And to me, you know, if I was in Mike Cole's place, knowing how much has been destroyed, I guess, not collected, before I gave a statement claiming that the only one vehicle had went through, I would want to have that video and I'd want to look at it for myself. I would want to be able to validate anything that I was putting out there 
because of the controversies around Eric and Gypsy's murder case. In your conversations with Nick Smith, you told me that he had expressed some frustration and feeling like he can't get anything done with this case. What does he mean, he can't get anything done with this case? He's the sheriff. Well, yes, he he is the sheriff. But to get a warrant or to get a case in court, you've got to go through the DA. And the DA, Bill Adair, has made it very clear that um, he doesn't want this case. When Wayne and I and Chris went to meet with Bill Adair with our concerns about the processing of the vehicle, no one had talked to the individual that had written that statement saying what happened to Eric. And I understand there's bits and pieces in there that are not true, but there's also bits and pieces in there that is true. And for that person that wrote that letter not to be brought in and given an interrogation and interviewed about what she had written, I mean, there's just so many things that went wrong in this investigation. And what concerned me was that Bill Adair understood our questions and he understood how upset we were that things were not being done. But yet he has a team of investigators himself and he is the one that will ultimately be taking this to a grand jury and before a jury and a judge. So personally, I would wanna have every bit of information that I could possibly get if my intentions were to process this case. But when you don't send your investigators out to investigate a crime scene like this, a murder, and when you don't call the sheriff's department and say, you know, I'm gonna need more information. I need to know more about this case before I can prosecute what's going on. That never happened. So from the very beginning, we saw, Wayne, Chris, and I saw that Bill Adair had no intention of ever bringing this case to a courtroom. Toby's recent conversation with Sheriff Smith sure seems to support Toby's thoughts on the district attorney's willingness to work on Eric's case. Sheriff Smith told Toby that the district attorney has told them that until they can prove to him that Eric's death wasn't an accident or a suicide, they aren't doing any work on the case. Eric's family is going to need the continued support of the public to get over these obstacles that those who have been elected and hired to serve and protect keep putting in the path of justice. Despite all that you've heard here today, there is progress in the case, new developments, and good news that we will share with you as soon as we are permitted to do so. If you have any information that could help in solving the murders of Eric and Gypsy or the mysterious death of Randy Hicks, please call the Walker County Sheriff's Office at 205-522-6112. You may also email me at secretstruecrime at gmail.com or call our confidential tip line at 205 282 0740. 
If you are left still wanting even more content, please check us out on Patreon. We have filled it with great information about Susan and Evan and Eric and Gypsy. This podcast is an independent podcast. That means that everything that goes into making this podcast is done and funded by me. All of the investigative tools and resources are provided by Echo 7 Foxtrot. The tragedies we highlight and investigate have had a tremendous impact on the victims, loved ones, and friends. We don't burden them with additional expenses to cover their cases. We donate our time and talents because we want to help and hope to find the answers that they need that are so long overdue. For as little as $5 per month, you can receive exclusive access to members-only photos, videos, early access to episodes, and much, much more. By becoming a patron, you too are helping us help these families. Your support as a patron of Secrets True Crime Podcast helps us cover the expense associated with producing a high-quality podcast, traveling to conduct fieldwork and interviews, and obtaining the tools and equipment needed to conduct a thorough investigation. In short, your support as a patron allows us to do more for these families. Become a patron of Secrets True Crime Podcast today, and let's solve these cases together. Patreon.com slash Secrets Crime. I'll also post the link on our Facebook page. If you are enjoying this podcast, be sure to follow or subscribe in your podcast player of choice and by giving us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcast. I'm active on social media and often share photos of Eric and Gypsy. Follow Secrets True Crime on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Secrets Crime. The audio production for this podcast is by Kane Power at precisionpodcasting.com.